Hello, my name is Wendy Myers. Welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. You can find me on my website, livetoone110.com, or on my YouTube channel, Wendy Live to 110. Please go there and subscribe. Today we have uh, my friend Emily McGuire on the podcast. I met her on Jimmy Moore's Live and Levita Low Carb Cruise last year, and we had a really nice time. She's such a nice person, um, just very, very funny and sweet, and I wanted to have her on the podcast to talk about a lot of interesting things that she's doing. She has been traveling around the world talking to all the experts on the low-carb diet and the different diseases that it's helping, and really uh, honing in on the cutting-edge research um, on ketogenic diet. So we're going to talk about that today on the podcast. Please keep in mind that this podcast is only informational in nature and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. So please keep in mind this is for entertainment purposes only. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment that we suggest today on the show. And I'm so excited. My first uh, supplement is coming out, Bio Rehab. It's my first line of supplements. And the very uh, flagship brand is coming out. It's called Liver Rehab Plus. That'll be on Amazon, hopefully by the time this podcast airs. Um, but it'll be on um, in about uh, two weeks. It'll be on Amazon for sale. And I spent many months designing the formula for this product. And this has been a dream of mine in the works for many years. So it's finally coming to fruition. So keep an eye out for bio rehab supplements on Amazon. Our guest today, Emily McGuire, um, she completed her BSc in nutrition um, and she went on to study for her master's uh, in obesity science and management. Um, she is the author at lowcarbgenesis.com, her website, and she is keen to share the myths and truths surrounding the ever confusing and interesting topic of nutrition. So am I. And with over seven years of experience working within the commercial weight loss sector, she has unprecedented insight into the use of alternative nutritional therapies, particularly the ketogenic diet. For the past year, she's been touring around the world in order to get firsthand insight into what is really going on in the world of keto nutrition. Emily, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's nice to see you again. Yeah, you too. I met you on the uh, the low carb cruise, and uh, that was uh, you were you were a pre- your fellow presenter there, and uh, yes. we were on Jimmy Moore's low carb cruise in uh, 2014. And it was mm-hmm. nice to have uh, pina coladas with you and <laughs> get to know you a little bit. <laughs> the cruise. Yeah, it's always a funny one, the cruise. It's mixing vacation with doing a bit of, you know, speaking. So I think it's nice. I think people see that, you know, we can also have a bit of a vacation as well. Yeah. And have a odd pina colada yeah. is okay. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, no, it's fun. I went on this year's one as well. So yeah. that was that was interesting. Another good lineup of speakers. So yeah. Yeah, and so what did you present about um, on the cruise? I presented about the trip that I'm doing mm-hmm. at the minute. So I know we were just kind of speaking a little bit about that off air. So I've been traveling now for oh gosh, must be about six months, I think it is. And I've been doing this crazy round the world trip um, of sort of meeting everyone in the, the low-carb, ketogenic, nutrition world. Um, so I started off in South Africa and went from there to Australia, Australia to America. And now I'm in my last stop, which is Canada, before I head home. So, yeah, so I was presented on that, kind of what I've seen as I've gone around, what's been going on from all the different countries, and just a general overview of 
how I've been doing it basically. So you're just on like the low carb odyssey. <laughs> <laughs> I know, quite quite funny. I think because I'm doing it on my own as well, so it's this crazy person with a very even more crazy accent that's turning up to these people's offices and universities and all these kind of things. So it's it's been really interesting, um, but I'm kind of getting a bit sick and fed up of living out of the suitcase. Yeah. I so <laughs> you, you take for granted the little things in life, but it's been amazing so far. So. And so what is your goal with your, your ketogenic odyssey that you're taking? So professionally, I'm looking to go back and do my PhD. That's kind of the overall, kind of the ultimate goal, if you like. And I want to go back and specifically look at ketogenic nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you probably know as well, there's not that many people that are not only researching it, but using it around the world, um, particularly in the UK as well. So I decided to set off on this trip and do a little bit of travel mixed with a little bit of sort of professional aspect with it as well and head back. And there's a few options that I've got to sort of consider, but I'm going to head back home before I definitely pick which place I'm going to end up in, I think. (laughs) Nice, nice. What are your top places that you think you want to study? Oh, (laughs) I don't know if I can say just now. There's definitely a few in Australia and the States as well. Um, But there's another couple perhaps back actually in London. So kind of whilst I've been away in this year, there's more people picking up over there as well, which is quite exciting and interesting. So I'm going to go back to the UK and, and see what's happening there. Um, you did know, you visit Christine Cornell when you were there? I didn't. Unfortunately, I didn't make up the East Coast up as oh. far. I got up as far as Sydney. Um, so I started off in the West Coast. So I started off in Perth, then travelled down to Adelaide. I met the people there at the Cereal Centre. Um, so that's Manny Noakes and Grant Brinkworth. So they've done quite a bit of research in low-carb, particularly diabetics. And then I moved on from there to Canberra. Um, there I met the amazing, I don't know if you know the Merrymaker sisters. No. They're Australia. Oh, Emma and Carla um, Papas is their surname. But the Merrymaker sisters are just the most infectious two people. Just amazing. So they're, they're based in Australia and doing really great things out of there. And the likes of uh, Chef Pete Evans as well. I don't know if you've come across Pete at all. And from there, I went to Melbourne and hung out with the Low Carb Down Under group. So that's people like Dr. Rod Taylor, there's Dr. Gary Fetke, there's a whole bunch of them within there. And then up to um, Sydney. So that's where I went to meet with Dr. Kieran Rooney. So he is a professor at Sydney University that's actually starting to do a lot of work looking at low carb diets, particularly looking at um, sugar, sugar sweetened beverages. And he's um started to hopefully look at the ketogenic aspect with cancer as well Mm. Um, and then from there i actually had to get over to the states to make it to paleo fx so and i cut my australia part a little bit shorter so i couldn't make it any further up the east coast unfortunately but gold coast brisbane it's actually probably one of the nicest parts of australia so just means I have to go back, I think. Yeah, yeah I went there for like, two months when I was younger, and it, it was beautiful. Did some scuba diving, but no, oh, I was nice. not visiting any low carbers. Uh, but <laughs> no but nutrition went, in there. I was probably eating carbs and scuba diving. I did the like exact opposite of what you were doing. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I really like Christine Cronell. She was on the podcast. She's a while ago. lovely. Yeah, yeah, Christine's lovely. I actually I saw her when I was in South Africa. 
So she was at the the first international low carb conference that was held in South Africa. Mm-hmm. So there was a host of pretty much names that a lot of you um, will know. So obviously Jimmy Moore was there. We had Dr. Eric Westman, um, Steve Finney. We had Asim Malhotra from the UK. Um, Daryl Edwards was there and Christine was there um, from, from Australia. There was quite a few of them from Australia, actually. So I got to see her there. Um, yeah, so she was a fellow presenter on the low carb cruise in 2014. Very odd because we look exactly alike. She's my, do- my <laughs> doppelganger from down under. Oh my god, she's doing it actually. Yeah, yeah I think have- she she uh, won the crown of traveling the furthest that year as well. Oh. That was uh, pretty uh, after experiencing the jet lag from Sydney to LA as well, and then flying straight to Austin. It is the worst jet lag. Mm. I have ever experienced and yeah. um, the only thing I can say is thank goodness for um Paleo FX because Rob Wolf and Dr. Parsley I can't remember his first name off the top of my head they have that new sleep cocktail that they've just brought out and um they gave it to me to try kind of the first night and it was the best thing that I had ever tried with mm-hmm. regards to to sleep um so I cannot highly recommend that enough if anyone suffering from really severe jet lag because I was a walking zombie for about four days. Oh no. So, what yeah. was nice of Rob to knock you out at Paleo FX? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you <laughs> I felt though I was um kept trying to go past and get more. I was, <laughs> I was like, I need to have more of this. So but yeah, it's, it's highly recommended. Um I tried that before I had tried some of um Dave Asprey's stuff as well. So Yeah. Yeah. So what what got you so passionate about the ketogenic or low carb diets? Yeah, so it kind of started actually when I was in my undergrad for my degree. Uh, my degree was kind of the conventional, you know, the way I was taught was um, the low fat, the eat well plate, as we call it in the UK. And when I got to my second year of my undergrad, I took a placement over the summer to help a commercial weight loss company and being probably the typical student I didn't do much of my due diligence behind the company turned up on the first day and that's when I realized they were a low-carb company Mm. I pretty much almost never went back or I didn't think I was going to go back after the first day because I thought these I actually thought I was gonna have to report them or something because you know <laughs> to me is what I've been taught was it's all about low fat and you know and we got taught one biochem class that basically ketosis is bad for you and it gives you bad breath so don't do it so I sat down on the first day and it was actually Dr. Eric Westman and Dr. Will Yancey's work from Duke University that I started reading. And it was literally the way I've explained it to people on this trip as well. It's almost like going down the rabbit hole in Alice in Wonderland. You just start unraveling all this stuff that you've just, you know, never even heard of. And there's just no way back, basically. So that was kind of almost the start of it. Uh, from there I also had to finish my degree and what was interesting was I had to unison obviously I had to do what my lecturers and things wanted me to write about to pass the exams but at the same time I was obviously learning and reading all the signs that was kind of contradictory so it was quite an interesting way I know a lot of people find out about it after they finish their degree and then from there I went on to do my master's degree in obesity science and luckily that university was really quite open to sort of looking outside the box for dietary approaches they actually quite encouraged it so my master's thesis so then was looking at low carbohydrate diets in diabetics, type 2s in particular. 
So it's kind of all just sort of come from there. And then the first time I ever saw or really went to a specific ketogenic conference, if you like, was in 2011 at the American Society of Bariatric Physicians. And it was part of the Nutrition Metabolism Society. And they had a conference pretty much all on ketone bodies. And it was the likes of Eric Kossov, the John Hopkins Center. There was Tom Seyfried. There was Richard Feynman, Jeff Bolick. And I was, you know, a very naive 22-year-old turn up to this conference. And I thought I knew some stuff. And I just, the level of knowledge biochemistry was just really, really just as one ties me. Science is kind of always what's driven me and the academic side of it so from there I was just completely hooked yeah. so yeah. long story short of it and then from there it's just how it's all panned out so yeah, yeah you're gonna yeah. get the uh, transcriptionist to run for her money <laughs> with all the different names <laughs> <and everything. laughs> I know <laughs> so what are some of the the many benefits of you know an adopting a ketogenic diet or a low carb high fat diet yeah there, there's many um the first thing I'll say with it as well is, you know, that although there is a lot of benefits out there with regards to the ketogenic, I mean, I'm probably going to be a little controversial maybe when I say this as well, but it's not necessarily the be all and end all of dietary approaches. You know, it's it's one aspect. It's a dietary approach. For some people, it might not be the way to go for them. But for people that I've worked with, um, that I've now seen in so many other clinics from around the world, some of the benefits that you can actually experience are really profound. Um, weight loss is obviously one of them and that's kind of the sort of the standard that everyone I think is sort of going to ketogenic for but as the more research that comes out now we're now finding benefits ranging from improvements in diabetes right down to treatments with regards to cancer um, so is this what you call sort of this therapeutic sort of clinical aspects with regards to ketogenic so ranging from epilepsy right through to Alzheimer's, Parkinson's and cancer as well so that side of it is really exciting. Mm -hmm. Other people and particularly on the other side which is is quite sort of groundbreaking is the performance and the athletic side mm -hmm. so particularly for endurance runners um, or any kind of endurance sport basically they're now finding that ketogenic diet so if you're in this what's known as fat adapted state so if you're basically allowing your body to switch from burning glucose predominantly to burning fat then you can have so much um, better performance and that's been seen in some really elite performers right down to people who just do recreational you know Ironmans or marathons etc there there was also a really good um, documentary film that was out I don't know if you've heard of serial killers and that serial is in the cereal that you eat oh yeah we watched that <laughs> um, uh, we watched the pre-dinner for the uh, yeah well they've now brought like a second one yeah and it's called run on fat and the second one is basically based on this couple who decided to row from now my geography is terrible i've traveled the world but my, um, they decided to row from i think it was the west coast um over to hawaii i think it was and uh, which took them taking them around about 30 days and basically they wanted to do it under a ketogenic diet so they wanted to do it completely fat adapted now obviously all the conventional people were like you're crazy there's absolutely no way you can do this without being you know carb loaded effectively but they went about it and there's this whole documentary based on it and they they basically obviously do it completely fat adapted so there's a lot more of this coming out and some really exciting research around it as well 
well and I think a lot more kind of athletes and things are going to be adopting that approach because not only is it good for the performance it's also really good for the recovery and what seems to help with um, injury time as well. And then in terms of the other aspect, there's a lot of people when they start a ketogenic diet, they report a lot better with regards to mental cognition, they have a lot more clarity, people notice a lot more improvements with regards to skin, etc. So there is a whole host um, of a lot of what we call I suppose, anecdotal evidence, so people, you know, on N equals one kind of case reports. So there's still a lot that needs to be studied and that's why I'm quite careful. I think a lot of people can think that and as the more um, interest is generated with regards to ketogenic as well, I think we need to be careful that it's not going to run away as this amazing cure for everything. Whilst I think it does have a place, I think there's obviously lots of other aspects that will come into it. And it's, you know, a lifestyle. It's the way, you know, people sleep, people's hormones, you know, toxins, etc. All these kind of things as well will come into play. So this might be a dumb question, but just for any listeners that don't know, what does a ketogenic diet look like? So a ketogenic diet, generally under sort of the, the broad terms, if you, if you like, the carbohydrate content of a ketogenic diet needs to be at 50 grams of carbs per day or less. Now, that's the kind of sort of upper level, if you like, that we would say. For a lot of people who are more insulin resistant, so that's people with diabetes, metabolic syndrome, anything like fatty liver, or people that are predominantly hold their fat around their tummy area, they might do a lot better with a carbohydrate content at around about 20 to 30 grams. On the other end of the scope, it is obviously a lot higher in fat than what a lot of people are used to. Again, the exact level of fat content will be very individualized and it's also very dependent on why you're following the ketogenic diet. So for someone who is epileptic or perhaps following it for other therapeutic reasons like Alzheimer's disease or for cancer, their fat level can go up to as high as even 90% of your total calorie intake sometimes. Um, for other individuals, it can be as low as 65%. So Again, there's a lot of these different sort of um, percentages and things that are online. I find it quite hard sometimes. I don't necessarily like working with the percentages because it just gives you this vague sort of overview. It's obviously very dependent on the amount of calories that you're going to need as well. So for example, an athlete, an endurance athlete is going to need a lot more calories than someone who's looking to, who's obese and looking to lose weight, for example. So they're percentages might look the same but the absolute overall amount that they take in is very different and then the other factor is the protein so a lot of people when they say you know you hear low carb you automatically think that it's this high protein aspect and that's a kind of a myth I suppose maybe way back you know sort of 10 20 years ago we maybe did still overeat a little bit on protein particularly with regards to ketogenic um, programs but obviously protein in itself is very gluconeogenic so that basically means that your body can take the protein and synthesize it into glucose if it needs to. Now that's not to say that you know the smallest amount I think on the other end of the scale and again this is where we've got to be a bit careful is that you don't want to under eat on protein as well you know protein is still really vital to our overall health mm. our bodily functions you know so everything grows on basically so it's basically what we call moderate protein and again that'd be very dependent on the individual very dependent on your body your body weight your muscle mass and that's how obviously it will vary 
Generally, again, if you're doing it for therapeutic reasons, so for example, epilepsy, particularly in children who are really ill with epilepsy, they might have a lot lower level than you know a marathon runner, for example. Um, the overall diet, the way that it looks, it's probably similar to how a lot of people maybe eat. Um, you know, so morning time, for example, it could be a couple of eggs with some bacon, maybe a little bit of avocado if you can tolerate tolerate a little bit more carbohydrate content. Your lunchtime could just be a salad with some protein option with something like olive oil on top to get your fat source in there. And then evening meal again, just any sort of protein with a vegetable source with either cooked in some kind of fat or obviously topped off with some fat as well. Quite a lot of people when you get very ketogenic, it's, um, the ketone bodies themselves are very satiated. Well, sorry, not the ketone bodies themselves are satiating, but the ketone bodies can downplay your appetite basically. Um, so what a lot of people do when they follow a ketogenic diet is quite often they'll have a meal in the morning or you know sort of later morning time and they can go completely fine they're quite full throughout the day until evening time and they'll have an evening meal so again it's sometimes getting out of this conventional thinking of you know we have to eat three meals a day with these two snacks and that's how a lot of people think you have to eat but when you go ketogenic a lot of the time your body just the way it responds changes so I know a lot of people that will just eat twice a day with maybe a bit of a snack in between Mm -hmm. and that's completely fine for their body so again it's just about having this individualized approach with it for some people they need the three meals a day you know they just could not skip breakfast they could not skip lunch and they could not skip dinner so it's, it's really just about adjusting it to that individual basically yeah, I like that you talk about individualization because um, I agree that the ketogenic diet doesn't work for everybody and um, everyone's a little bit different. And for me, I uh, I played around with it in the past. Uh, the, one of the very first diets that I tried was the Atkins <laughs> diet, you know, written by Dr. <laughs> Eric Westman. And I also, um, you know, have recently uh, been playing around more with it, a, a low carb diet. And mm-hmm. just because I'm trying to lose weight and, and just doing some a little experiment and whatnot. And I find I, I can only eat twice a day. I'm just not hungry. Um, yeah. for, for, you know, because of the ketones and whatnot. And I feel really good. Um, I wasn't mm-hmm. able to do it, uh, a few years ago, as I, I talked about jokingly on the cruise. <laughs> I yeah. used to make everybody hate me. Um, but, uh, but now I've, uh, I, I've been playing around more with it and it, it feels really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good. Yeah. yeah. But I like that you also, you talk about how when you eat too much protein, that that can turn into sugar. And I think a lot yeah. of people don't realize that, that they can't just freely eat, uh, carbs or protein or any, uh, you know, macronutrient and yeah. not suffer the consequences. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think as, as more sort of research is coming out on it, I remember when I first started, you know, sort of researching into low carb way back, you know, when there wasn't as much emphasis on the protein even then. So we knew that kind of with the protein is sort of what we say is that the protein almost takes care of itself to a certain extent because protein in itself as a macronutrient is very satiating as well. So just of the nature of the way that the body metabolizes protein and obviously it's no storage capacity for protein like it does for fat and carbs, then your body has this natural ability to, you know, as soon as you eat a really big steak, there's just no way you could eat any more of that. It's very different to when you eat fat and carbohydrates. So it is that kind of mechanism, but obviously 
in an obese individual where their you know hypothalamus etc is you know effectively kind of damaged if they're metabolically damaged then they don't necessarily have these sort of signals and cues with regards to um, fullness after meals and obviously a lot of hormones that come into play there as well um, so I think that the the aspect with the protein is that some people could actually overeat on it and I even found that you know we had some individuals where they just they weren't losing weight or they weren't getting the improvements particularly in blood sugar levels as well and what we were finding is that they were not only having their three meals a day but then they were having unlimited amounts kind of protein snacks and that's sort of where the, the stumbling block uh, for it was and that is as I say just because of the body's ability to turn that protein into sugar effect and the body obviously uses that in place of the the ketone bodies yeah so it's it can be a bit of a minefield in the beginning and you know once once you kind of get it then you know and you can start listening to your body but in the beginning it does take a little bit of sort of trial and error yeah and you said that you know a lot of people are attracted to the ketogenic diet or you know high carb low carb high fat diets because they're trying to lose weight um, and mm-hmm. so do high ketones automatically translate into weight loss? They don't. And this is something that I find a lot of time, particularly with the clients that I've had as well. And um, so a lot of people think that, you know, the the greater the blood meter reading that they get, or obviously the new breath meters that, that is out now, so the greater, if it blows red, then that must mean that you are, you know, highly into ketosis. But then I get people saying, but I'm not losing weight. You know, so the way that it was kind of explained to me, and this has been by some of the doctors and people that have worked in this for, you know, 20, 30 years, is that there's a huge difference between fat burning and weight loss. So when you're fat burning, so if you take a blood um, measurement of the beta hydroxybutyrate or you blow in or, you know, you pee in a sick or whatever, which way you want to measure, that doesn't necessarily correlate completely with regards to weight loss. And that is more to do particularly with the diet that you're eating as well. So quite often you'll hear that people say, you know, the calories don't matter. And all of a sudden there's this big debate with regards to the calories in equals calories out. And whilst I'm not saying that that is, that is you know, it's not just about the calories in equals calories out. It is to do with the quality of obviously the calories that you're eating. But if you're eating in an excess of, you know, three, four thousand, some people even five thousand calories and expect to lose weight and you're someone who is particularly obese, then that is not going to happen. You know, and a lot of people are trying now for obviously to consume your fats in liquid form and, you know, where it's coconut oil or butter, etc. in your coffee or tea or whatever along those lines. If you do that quite consistently throughout the day, then what your body is going to be doing is it's going to be taking the fat from the food that you're eating and burning that and producing ketone bodies. So just because you have a high ketone level, it's not doesn't necessarily differentiate between if that if your body's got that from you know its body fat or if it's got it from the food that you've just ingested. So a lot of people are saying when they clients and things that have come to me before they're stumbling or they're plateauing and a lot of the time it is just a little bit because their calorie content is still a little bit too high now again I think a lot of people when they hear that they think oh but this isn't to do with calories and you know that kind of thing it's not within that certain sense but calories do have to come into play and from everyone that I've shown from around the world and all the major people within this they all say the same you know it's you can't sort of get away from that factor 
But the major thing and what the plus is with regards to the ketogenic is that, you know, you can lower the calorie content ever so slightly even and you don't have that hunger that happens when you do a standard, you know, 500 calorie deficit diet, for example. You don't have those sugar cravings. You do feel full. So you can do it, you know, just by taking a little bit of butter out or taking a little bit of coconut oil or whatever it is that you might be adding in that's just tipping that calorie content up ever so slightly and again it's still about not putting people on a really low calorie diet at all and it's not about focusing on that but for individuals particularly as you get further down the the journey so when you start off with a ketogenic it's not necessarily that you have to you know really focus on the calorie count but as you get further down the line and if you're plateauing and you're not losing weight in particular then you would really need to take a look at that. So, so yeah, so there's a huge difference between, you know, fat burning and weight loss. And there's a huge difference between your keto body levels are high because of the food that you're eating or is it because of your body's basically burning its own fat? Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. we want, definitely want to be burning fat. I know I do. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people who are athletes and things, you know, they can ingest a lot more fat and they are obviously going to burn that throughout their marathons or whatever they're doing but so again this is why it has to be really individualized and you've got to be really careful about the broadness that's kind of now out there and in sort of the you know the world wide web etc yeah and podcasters a little lower fat for sure <laughs> sitting around a lot. Um, yeah so a bit. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about um the low carb flu so to speak, uh, that mm-hmm. when people are transitioning from a you know moderate or high carb typical American diet to a low carb mm-hmm. diet, um, like what kind of things happen and what can people expect? So when you're transitioning, as you said, there's this kind of standard what's known as the low carb flu or the Atkins flu, sometimes it's called. So within the first sort of two to three days, some people can notice symptoms like headaches lethargy they get a metallic taste in the mouth they can have weak legs just generally that's why it's kind of called the sort of low carb fluke you just don't really feel that right um now a lot of people get a bit put off by that and they think it sounds really scary but the first the reason why it's happening is first of all your body's getting used to the switch over an energy source so it's getting used to using the ketone bodies over the glucose for energy and second of all a lot of the reason it's happening is because of a shift in electrolyte balance so when you go on a low carbohydrate diet obviously your body does dump out a lot of water which is very well known in the first couple of weeks and with that water obviously there is then fluctuations with regards to sodium potassium and magnesium as well so really to overcome that sort of the first week with regards to the keto flu just taking a supplement making sure you're you're having extra salt um, on your food will obviously make sure you replenish any of that that's lost and then taking a magnesium supplement as well is really beneficial for that aspect it shouldn't last any longer than around about a week some people don't even experience any symptoms again it's really individualized and that's not to say that your body's not burning fat it's just that your body's been a bit more efficient than some other individuals um, particularly what your diet was like before as well I mean, if your diet was quite a sort of clean sort of diet before that's going to be you know not as kind of bad when you're sort of going into that keto aspect but having that added salt in regards to magnesium as well can really really help those um, side effects with it and like I said shouldn't last any longer than about a week 
Yeah, when I tried the low-carb diet before, many, many years ago, when I first was experimenting with different diets, um, I found uh, the willpower really hard to resist the sugars and things like that because Mm -hmm. my brain was wanting to make serotonin uh, with those carbohydrates. But I think now, now that I've healed my health, my adrenals, et cetera, et cetera, as many of the listeners know, and I've uh, balanced my neurotransmitters, I'm not mm-hmm. cra- I don't crave sugar at all, and I, I'm able to do the ketogenic diet or attempt uh, to do that mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. much more effectively because I'm not I don't have this white knuckle craving for sugar because I have adequate serotonin yeah. levels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, originally, um, initially, when people start, and particularly people who are very sort of sugar and carb addicted, you know, and what we know is with regards to sugar now is sugar is so addictive, you know, and it's it's really it's in the media just now it's a really hot topic with regards to sugar and um, that sugar film was another film uh, documentary that's just coming out from Australia so that's one I can completely highly recommend for people to see and you know it's all this aspect about how people who have sugar day in day out they don't actually realize you know kind of how sort of addicted and things you are to until you have to come off it and that's when you suddenly realize that this is, you know, your whole hypothalamus, the whole chemicals, etc., you know, transitioning within the brain is just so messed up, you know, and particularly for individuals who are overweight and who are obese, it's even, you know, harder to make obviously those switches. And within our food, within the food supply, I mean, you know, they employ scientists specifically to get a, a um, formula for sugar, fat, and salt within certain foods, so that it completely messes up your brain. You know, the neurotransmitters that are going on within there, within the hypothalamus and the apostat, it completely messes it up. And that's why you can sit and eat a whole bag of chips and kind of not really think you're feeling full because the the scientists out there know how to put that together in such a way. So when you do first go keto or low carb, then you know it can be a little bit difficult in the beginning. Um, using things like you know natural sweeteners where possible, like stevia. Um, you know I would I really do recommend for my clients who are really struggling because I'd rather have that as a crutch and as a sort of transition tool for them, so that once they really get into that, you know it's it's a huge huge change for a lot of people. Just cutting out the sugar and refined carbohydrates, and yeah. that's been your diet for for so long so transitioning and then once you're feeling you know that you can you kind of got this as you say and a little bit more sort of willpower then trying to obviously pull back with regards to the even the natural sweeteners I'm not a huge fan of people kind of being too reliant on them because I still think it doesn't really allow your body to get away from this kind of reliance on sugar or the sweetness because when the sweetness even of a, a natural sweetener hits the tongue the body doesn't differentiate between if that's sugar or stevia, for example, it hits the tongue and it signals to the brain that this is sweet. So, you know, there's lots of different studies now coming through and it's probably a very sort of area that you could be on, on sort of either side. But, you know, I'm just a huge fan of where if you can get away from that kind of sweetness, um, the better. Yeah. Um, but there is. And, and again, the other aspect, once you kind of get past that sort of initial stages with the ketogenic, is that you don't have these hungers and you don't have um you know these cravings and um, there's been a few sort of studies looking at particularly with regards to the ketone bodies and there's a specific hunger hormone called ghrelin and what they find is that when individuals have a high level of ketone bodies circulating in their blood the ghrelin level is actually suppressed and that's actually one of the hormones that 
signals to your body to say that you're hungry. So, you know, there's there's all these things and an aspect of regards to ketone bodies that are coming out now that to show that, you know, there's it's, it might help almost kind of trick the body if you like, and it'll help you get over that stage of having um, these sugar cravings and these aspects of regards to, you know, wanting these types of foods as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm personally, I'm amazed at, at how little food I need. Um, I used mm-hmm. to have to eat three meals a day and I just didn't feel right. And now I'm eating two small meals a day and I'm just kind of really blown away by how little food I can function on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. Cut. So let's talk about uh, some of the types of research on ketogenic diets that you're uh, uncovering around the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Probably a lot of the place, I mean, it's mostly been in the States where some of the really exciting work is going on. Um, so a few of the places that I visited, so there is a doctor who's based in Phoenix and her name is Dr. Adrienne Sheck. Really, really lovely. Um, so much great work that she's got going on. She's at the Barrow Institute and she, her, a lot of her work is looking at brain cancer. And what's really interesting about her work is she is actually looking at the aspect of the ketogenic diet, but using it with standard care. So this is another aspect that I think, again, we've got to be a little bit careful of at the minute is a lot of people out there are maybe thinking that, you know, the ketogenic diet is the thing that's going to cure cancer, you know, and I personally haven't seen enough evidence to say that we can completely say that that is, you know, 100% true. I think there's a lot of evidence now to say one that's very good as an adjunct to the standard of care that we're using. And I think for some people, it's definitely been their lifeline, um, you know, for obviously some of the the procedures that they've gone through there hasn't been I mean a lot of the evidence that's going on just now is within animals and cell cultures so obviously we still need a lot more human trials and that is what they're going to start looking at the center um, in Phoenix there is a lot more um, human trials that are going to be coming out from there now which is really interesting and really quite exciting it is obviously predominantly in brain cancer so again from there you can't translate it to all the different types of cancers but what they are going to be looking at next is they're going to be looking at brain cancer and with metastases particularly with breast cancer Um, so it it is really growing and evolving and what's quite interesting is the what I spoke to Adrian about was kind of the the funding aspect and obviously how that's kind of being received um, at sort of different levels so a lot of really interesting work and what what was really interesting um, about her as well when we're speaking about the ketogenic diet is you know as a scientist and a researcher you're purposely trying to go out to prove yourself wrong because you know you, you can't go into generally you can't go into study having a bias but that's not always the case <laughs> yeah. um, so generally you're meant to obviously go in and prove kind of an all hypothesis and you know try and sort of prove that wrong there and one thing that Dr. Sheck was saying was that she just she can't really believe, you know, if you think something's too good to be true, generally it often is, particularly in science. But what she has been finding is that these ketone bodies just seem to have so much of a positive impact, um, if you can put it that way, particularly with regards to the downplaying of cancer pathways, that it just seems to, you know, it's really quite exciting, um, you know, obviously in the aspect, if you can put this with particularly alongside um, an adjunct with regards to the standard of care. One of the questions that I had asked her was, you know, if you put this with regards to standard of care, does it help in terms of downplay even the side effects 
with regards to you know radiotherapy and chemotherapy because the problems with that is that not only are you trying to you know effectively kill the cancer cells but normal and normal function cells can also obviously die off and that's why you get a lot of the side effects um you know with cancer and again she doesn't have the full sort of side of research but again anecdotally she's found that people who have been following a ketogenic diet seem to not have as many side effects now again that's very much you can't go out there and say that this is the be all and end all but anecdotally is what we're seeing and the major thing with the ketogenic diet as well in particular inside of cancer is it doesn't seem to do any harm so by someone going on the ketogenic diet yes it can be a little bit difficult to follow there are particularly people who are going through chemo or radiotherapy they can have change in palates they might not be able to tolerate meat for example so there's all these different aspects so if you are going to go on it you really need to work with someone who's trained properly in the ketogenic diet you know get advice get help from that kind of side of it but it, it does seem to be really promising and then there's obviously Dominic Diagostino who's yeah. at the University of South Florida, who's doing a whole host of really, really amazing and interesting work um, that, that's coming out of there. And also Thomas Seyfried, who is in Boston. And Thomas Seyfried, he's kind of the, you know, he's sort of the one, the major person that's taken this, the metabolic theory of cancer forward. And sort of from there, that's where kind of other people sort of sprung from. And he is a really interesting character to, to visit in his lab. And in his lab, he teams up ketogenic diet more with this kind of fasting approach with it. So he actually thinks that it's more to do with the calorie restriction rather than just purely the carb restriction. That's, that's why it's working within um, sort of cancer cells. And in his lab, he actually has pretty much all of his students and everybody that works there, they have like these competitions with the guards. So when I turned up, they had all just started a three-day fast and they'll all take their blood sugar levels and their ketone levels. And it's like a contest to see who can get the lowest on blood sugar and then the highest on their ketone level. Um, because what he's doing there, and there's a newspaper that's just come out from him, is he is looking at what's known as this kind of index. So the other thing that we don't know is we don't know, for example, someone had cancer. We don't know what level of ketone bodies they should get to. Just like we don't know, you know, should your blood sugar level be as low as possible? A lot of this is still really, really unknown. What he's found is this kind of index, if you like. So for an individual, you basically want, it's a calculation which is based in this, this paper, which I can give you um, the link to, that basically shows that you kind of lower your blood sugar level and the higher your ketone body level for that individual seems to be the therapeutic kind of window. Um, but again, this is very sort of new research. It needs to be piloted. It needs to be done in more um, adults. But it's just really kind of sort of interesting work that's coming from there. Um, and they've done sort of a lot of their own kind of experiments on themselves and such and found things like caffeine, for example, the impact that that has on ketone body levels. And they found that it can actually lower ketone body levels. Um, certain types of alcohol as yeah, well. So I'm, I'm lowering it. Lowering <laughs> You're lowering it a little bit. With this. <laughs> um, apparently the more expensive wine you buy, the less impact that has on ketone body levels. Oh, right so, uh, <laughs> so that's obviously advocating. When I drink, I don't drink very often, but when I do, when I imbibe, I do it right. <laughs> well, obviously, and, and red wine as well. Um, and lastly, probably the most... Um, 
one of the most exciting was I went to see um, Professor Jake Wilson and Ryan Lowry and they're at the University of Tampa and they have worked um, quite closely with Dom D'Agostino and also Dr. Jeff Bolick as well who's at Ohio who I also went to see and between all three of them they're doing a lot of work with regards to performance and I know that Jake and Ryan I think hopefully there might be a study coming out soon that's looking at ketogenic, particularly with regards to power athletes, which there's not a lot of evidence in that at all. So, you know, a lot of people think that you can't get muscle gains when you're ketogenic or you can't have the strength or the power, etc. But there's a lot of work now coming out from uh, Jake and Ryan's lab. So I think for anybody interested in performance to really keep an eye um, on those two and what they're doing, their work is really amazing. I completely, they're like my go-to people for the performance aspect. And Dr. Jeff Bolick as well. He, you know, I went to see his lab at Ohio and it's just phenomenal. He's just finished the FASTER study, which again was looking at elite um, athletes. And I know Ben Greenfield was one of the participants in that study. So again, he's got a lot of amazing evidence out of there. It's, it's not kind of been published yet, so I'm not sure if I'm kind of allowed to, to divulge what was sort of um, shown to me. But I think there's going to be a lot of really amazing work to come from there, ranging from performance right into the gut microbiome as well. So really, really exciting. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about how low-carb diets can help improve dementia or reverse it because, you know, (laughs) lately, you know, the statistics are that 50% of people develop dementia in the forms of Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, etc. So can Mm -hmm. you talk a little bit about how low-carb diet can help those conditions? Yeah, so Alzheimer's kind of got termed, I think it was last year, the year before, this kind of type 3 diabetes, the sort of the news or buzz that was coming out with it. And basically what they find is the link gain is all to do with high blood sugar levels and high insulin levels. And that they're finding that the impact that that has in the brain, and particularly um, the sort of the amyloid plaque deposition that happens with it. So obviously the problems when you have Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, dementia, etc., is really linked to high blood sugar level and high insulin levels. So by lowering, obviously, your carbohydrate content through a low-carbohydrate diet, that kind of automatically um, can help with that side. And what studies have found is that people, when they put them on a ketogenic diet, is that their um, their scores, so their cognition scores have improved. The major thing, obviously, with the sort of dementia and Alzheimer's, etc., is that so there's no preventative studies. And I don't really know if there could really be any preventative studies that you would get ethically approved for. Um, but what it seems is that it's this overall advice that, you know, make sure your blood sugar level is as low as, you know, it goes for health in terms of what's right for you. And that's consistently low, that your HB1C level, because this is the other aspect, is the glycate hemoglobin, which is a measurement predominantly in you know long-term diabetes management but it's this glycated hemoglobin and buildup that seems to have the impact with regards to the cognition aspect as well that comes into play with regards to alzheimer's etc so making sure that you have a blood sugar level that's stable most of the time and which will then also take into account your insulin levels as well this seems to be what's having the biggest impact so, and when it comes to the, the research with regards to sort of Alzheimer's and Parkinson's, on the other flip side of it, what a lot of the work is looking at now is things like MCT oil, um, you know, coconut oil. There's a lot of studies going into looking at things like caprylic acid, um, which is an MCT, which is showing that, again, that mix of sort of a, a lower carbohydrate approach 
can really help individuals who have already developed you know, dementia or Alzheimer's or Parkinson's, and it seems to have these improvements in the cognition. I'm sure so, Dave Asprey is happy about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> MCT oil. Yes. <laughs> yes. Maybe and, he could fund some studies with him there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you know, I have a question I like to ask all of my guests. Uh, what do mm-hmm. you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today? Oh. <sighs> I think I would have to say obesity and then the umbrella that comes with it. So obviously, you know, the comorbidities that come with obesity from type 2 diabetes, metabolic syndrome to cancer, cardiovascular disease. You know, obviously you can, you can obviously develop things like diabetes, obviously insulin resistant without necessarily being overweight, but and again, from traveling around from the major sort of Western countries, I mean, I've just been really shocked, I think, actually, to see kind of what it's been like in, in sort of every country that I've been to. And, you know, we are living in an epidemic that is just set to get worse. And diabetes in itself, I mean, I know the figures from the UK that if we don't get even just diabetes under control, by the year 2030, we're going to cripple our NHS, which is our health system. And that's just with diabetes. That's not taking into account, you know, cardiovascular or insulin resistance or anything along those sides. So for me, I think that's probably the most pressing. Um, and that probably probably puts an umbrella around lots of other um, conditions within there. But it's, it's now obviously said that we have a major problem more with overnutrition than we do with you know, malnutrition now. So yeah. it's pretty scary. Was there anything else you want to add to the, our, our low-carb conversation? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think so. Just to say that, yeah, I think it's it's really exciting. I mean, I'm really excited by the science and the research that's coming with it, particularly the therapeutic aspect. The other side I want to say again, and just I try and sort of stress that, is that this isn't just a miracle cure that if you just kind of do this, that it's going to fix everything, you know, so it's kind of, you know, sort of take that with it, not kind of get too evangelic with it. It might not be right for everyone and sort of lead by example. If it is right for you, then, you know, other people will follow suit with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, wanting to the listeners a little bit more uh, about where they can find you and maybe any other projects mm-hmm. you have on the horizon. Yeah. So you can find me at my website, which is just lowcarbgenesis.com. I'm now just starting to take on um, clients again, actually. So obviously I kind of put a little bit on hold whilst I was traveling across different time zones. So um, so people can contact me there if they want, you know, help on starting ketogenic or low carb, anything along those lines. I do have a few other um, projects that are coming up, which hopefully I'll be able to talk about in the next kind of few months. So my social media, again, is just low carb genesis. And that's on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. It's so good to finally chat to you again. Yeah, I know. So long after the cruise. I know, we've been meaning to do this for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. You can find me at liveto110.com. There you can learn about how to heal your health conditions naturally and detoxification, my favorite subject. You can also learn about my healing and detox program, Mineral Power, at mineralpower.com. Thanks again for listening to the Live to 110 podcast. Thank you